I'm Melissa McKee McGrath. Melissa is this amazing dog trainer, podcaster, and author in Somerville, Massachusetts. I train humans so their dogs are happy and well-behaved. And I'm Sip Sipperstein. Sip is a dragon veterinarian in Oakland, California. Yep, I'm a doctor for bearded dragons and bunnies and birds and other critters that people keep at home. And you have just landed in... Totally Possum. An animal podcast for adults. The show's called Totally Possum. Get it? Possum? <laughs> Each episode, Sip and I will use our combined expertise to share amazing animal stories, give you an inside peek into our professions, go deep-ish into some animals in the news, and maybe even reveal some tips that you will be glad to know if you have pets at home. A stew of the practical and the just plain silly. It's a Zootopia party, and we are determined to have some fun. We are not going to watch our language. We're letting our hair down. You just don't know what we might say, so hide your children. You have been warned. I mean, unless your kids are cool with fish orgies, bifurcated penises, and us swearing like sailors. Professionally, of course. So I think you wanted to start with something referencing the last episode because there was something that you wanted to bring up and and kind of extrapolate upon <laughs> before we get into the episode. Yes. I wanted to just mention because I felt this was really important and I started to get into it. And Melissa, as you may recall, I hit a brain wall, which I edited out, which was pretty <laughs> hilarious, but not <laughs> quality podcasting. When I was talking about these larger pet food companies having the resources, the money to test their product on the assembly line, and I was talking about making sure it meets the nutritional requirements, but the other things they're testing for are contaminants, toxins, bacteria that shouldn't be in there, and and actually having the resources to say, oop, we've got a problem, and we can throw this whole batch out and just oh. chuck it and say, not good enough. And again, you know, if you reference back to um, episode three, where we're talking about um, dog and cat foods, that a lot of these smaller companies just don't have the budget to be doing that level of testing and to be able to throw out entire batches of food that just don't meet the brief. I will yeah. mention one other thing, um, mm-hmm. which gets a little away from the point of uh, our topic last time, which is sort of misunderstandings about you know what what makes a good pet food. But when you're talking about dogs and cats and food allergies, you are not going to find an off-the-shelf food that actually addresses food allergies. And not all dogs who are itchy or cats who are itchy have a food allergy. First, you have to get the right. diagnosis and you want to follow your vet's instructions because that's a, there's a very specific way to do that. But these pet foods that are meant for allergies are mat- manufactured on equipment that has not touched these other proteins like chicken or beef that your pet may be allergic to at any point. And if your food came off of a piece of equipment that did also manufacture that other food, you're going to have that allergen in your pet's food, even though it says hypoallergenic or something. Oh, my God. Does that make sense? So so prescription pet foods that deal with allergens are manufactured on standalone equipment, and that you have to buy by prescription from your veterinarian. Anything else oh, wow. is not, not going to meet those those standards. 
Cool. That's a little aside. But thank you for bringing that back around about the you know, testing and contaminants. Because even in human foods, we know that there are recalls on foods. It just happens. Yeah. Uh, and that that's going to happen with pet foods. And some foods, you know, when was it? About eight years ago or so, when some foods that were manufactured in China had uh, melamine in it. And oh, was yeah. causing kidney failure. And so, yeah. you know, picking up contaminants like that is super important. Or not picking them up, I guess. It's like, like yeah. Not, I, I think I see what you mean. Like picking them up on the assembly line, not picking them up in your pet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you do not want your pet to pick it up. One more point is that if you haven't already, go on YouTube, find Olive and Mabel, and watch Olive and Mabel and look for poker or cards. Because Oh my god, I love Olive and Mabel. Oh my god. So these are two Labradors in yes. Scotland, I presume, because the owner's accent is Scottish. These are adorable. They've sort of been a COVID time uh soul saving short video experience on YouTube. And I knew of Olive uh and Mabel, but I I really went in this last week and um I feel like them playing cards is one of the one of the best. So I have to look that one up because I was at the very beginning of the pandemic. He he was a sports broadcaster or a news broadcaster or something. And he decided he was going to start doing these things with his dogs. And the best the, the one that I saw at the beginning of this whole mess was he did a Zoom call to talk to Olive and Mabel about their performance. <laughs> yes. I just saw that yesterday. <laughs> and he had like Mabel in one room and Olive in the other and they they were like on the call and then like one this Mabel you're muted. You're yeah. mute. We can't hear you. <laughs> we can't see you. Hit the button that looks kind of like a dog bone. <laughs> it was so funny. Um yeah, it was really good. So if you need a laugh, Olive and Mabel. Um so Sib, how have you been? I've been okay. We've had some beautiful sunny days here in in Northern California. And even though Northern California is not known for its warm evenings, we even had a couple of warm evenings where we could hang out on the back deck. And uh, after the sun started to set, it was quite a treat. So nice. Yeah. Loving that. And the the critters are good. Yeah. How about you? Doing okay. Just kind of uh... (laughs) a... Trying to find a way to like make a different recording space. I'm not cramped up in this closet. <laughs> it's so small. We were saying earlier that that we we have a third member of our pat podcast, your wedding dress, who, who she is. is always with us, cr- making crinkly noises, which Melissa tr- yes. tries to <laughs> really nice supposed to, to be the silent partner, but um. she really is. But man, she's got a lot to say. She's like, you haven't worn me in 11 years. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Well, I'm not going to fit you forever. I, I think it's <laughs> important. I don't think it would fit now. I think it's important to to recognize the other members of the podcast. And your wedding dress has definitely been there from the beginning in your closet, making a contribution. Oh, my God. Oh, goodness. Awesome. So, so yeah. So, I guess we should... uh make a podcast okay let's make a podcast (laughs) let's make a podcast bam oh oh i bammed (laughs) so the topic i was thinking about doing a bigger deep dive on today would be entertainment 
televised educational shows involving animals. Oh, yeah. There's this new show with this guy named Chirag Patel, who is a guy that I've been watching in my industry as a dog trainer for years. Like, he's Hmm. really great. He has some really interesting ways of teaching very basic skills in a fear-free way. Yes. It doesn't seem intuitive when you're watching it, but when you're watching him train, you're like, oh, of course that's going to work. And that's way less difficult than trying to force an issue. So, like, he's really, really talented. And he has this show called Cats and Dogs at War. And it's him and it's a cat trainer. And and forgive me, I forget her name because I'm, I'm not as up on my cat training. But she's also quite good. And they're, they're filming in Britain, England, UK. I know there's a difference. I don't know what it is. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm going to send you the chart. <laughs> send me the chart. And to my British friends, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm a dumb American. Send all email to Melissa McHugh-McGrath. <laughs> Uh, totally possum pot at gmail.com. Attention, Melissa, you suck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, so this particular show got me thinking because there's very few dog training televised shows that I would actually be completely supportive of. Hmm. And in fact, I find that in a lot of ways, shows like um, there was one with the dog whisperer that I watched when I was younger when I was starting as a dog trainer. It was on TV and it popularized dog training in a way that in a lot of ways I think was good because it it got people thinking about taking their dogs to dog training. I mean, there's always been dog training, but the boom, I think, really started with, with that show. But the more and more I learned about how learning works and seeing how he didn't have the qualifications to be instructing people about their animals and that many of these animals were actually injured and harmed during the show it it really made me think like well wait what is the cost benefit analysis of this because i would have people coming into my classes going (laughs) like um like mimicking what they're seeing on the show right and and it's perfectly natural to to mimic that stuff and if that's the only window into dog training that you have is this television show you're going to do those things because it's magic but the magic of editing is what made it magic right right there yeah and i know that there's shows out there about veterinary sciences and rescue and they're always trying to show this big transformation this horrible thing is happening or it has occurred and then within the hour, that problem is solved. Right. Um, and, and, and then the camera crews go away and then you don't know if, if it's truly resolved. Yeah. It's reality television that... Truly. Right. You know, um, we're not seeing everything about how someone got voted off the island. You know? Right. Yeah. This Shih Tzu got booted off the island. <laughs> Fifi, extinguish your flame. You are removed from the island. (laughs) Turn in your bone. I was going to say, put put down your Kong toy. But I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for these television shows that can inspire people to do the right things. But truly, they are entertainment. And if you're not sure if it's a, a good show to watch to get information, I would always encourage people to look at the credentials of the person that is on the show. Right. And for Chirag, he has behavior certifications. He has an extensive list of educational credits in behavior, in Mm -hmm. training, Mm -hmm. with reputable organizations. And 
he's really good. And yes, he's on YouTube. And yes, he's on TV. And that tends to be something that I would say just don't if if they're not otherwise backed by mm-hmm, credentials. Right. But he is. And he's very good. Victoria Stillwell's another one that has lots of credentials. It has done the work. But again, if you're watching her show and you're watching her handle an aggressive dog and it's quote, fixed in an hour, even though you know this is a period of three days or three weeks or whatever, mm-hmm. in your head, you're still watching this happen in an hour. Yeah. And a lot of these things can set unrealistic expectations for when you are working with a professional like me or if it's a medical show with you. And I think that our industry might do better in some ways or these shows would do better if they were honest and also showed some of the failures or not Mm -hmm. even failures, but just really showed how hard this is and that sometimes it doesn't work in the way that the show would lend you to think that it would like, Hey, can you get this border collie who's hurting children by biting them? Can you get this dog to love kids? Well, the answer is probably going to be no. That sometimes the answer is going to be maybe behavior modification medication or space or the dog is managed in a way that it never sees kids. Right, right. Or X, Y, Z. And sometimes that work is really hard and it doesn't make pretty television. But that's what people have to do. So when they call us, they think there's a magic bullet and there isn't. Right. And, and, And that one method does not you know, fit all that how you do training with one animal is not necessarily going to work the same way with another one. And it needs to be individualized. Correct. And, and it can be individualized within the parameters of I'm a positive reinforcement trainer. So in the parameters of positive reinforcement, there are still many ways to get a behavior. It's like math, Mm -hmm. right? Like I learned math one way, and it was really hard. And then I had a teacher who just showed me a couple of different things that made it click for me a lot easier. I was going to ask you about, you know, you referenced um, people's qualifications. And I don't know if you can speak to mm-hmm. this. Um, I'll, I'll confess, sure. I never looked it up. But someone like Cesar Milan, who, you know, gained mm-hmm. huge popularity, was like, a celebrity and then information started to come out about what was going on behind the scenes that wasn't so cool. But what were his qualifications? Do you know? He doesn't have any. There's no educational history. It was all, I'm great with dogs. I can take the big dogs. And then he got results. And and the truth is punishment can work. It can work really, really well. On, On some levels and then not on others. If all you're looking for is obedience punishment can work incredibly well. If I want my dog to do a really fast sit and my dog is afraid that if it doesn't sit faster, it's going to get choked or kicked or shocked. Yes. Right? It will sit. It will sit real fast. But what does that say about the relationship? And, And for some dogs, that can work. It can work remarkably well if you're just looking at, if you're just looking at the parameters of, is this obedience working for my dog is my if I want my dog to sit really fast and not chase a skateboard mm-hmm. I could do that mm-hmm. with punishment but I also now have a dog who is afraid of me right <laughs> and that's not really the life that mm-hmm. I want my dog mm-hmm. to have and so like he doesn't have any certifications in behavior he doesn't have any certifications in training 
And and the lingo that he uses, I find the most problematic, which is he talks a lot about alpha theory and dominance theory, submissive, uh, red zone, which isn't a thing. What was red zone? I don't remember that. Red zone was his way of saying, and again, this is just kind of a, a nebulous mm-hmm. Rorschach test, right? Like you can mm-hmm. see whatever you mm-hmm. want in the word. But I think the way he was trying to describe it was a dog that is too hard to handle for most people, like maybe really aggressive or maybe really quick. I would call that dog maybe reactive. Mm -hmm. He would flood the dog, which is taking the dog and putting it in a very um, scary situation and kind of make the dog. And what he called Mm -hmm. submission is what somebody who's skilled in animal behavior would call Mm -hmm, shut down. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was basically the dog giving up instead of the dog being able to learn. And, and that is really the biggest issue mm-hmm. that I have with Caesar is, is, the, is the way or, or shows like him. I don't yeah, want to yeah, just yeah, say yeah. him because there are thousands of shows like that. And I brought him up like as that. an example. Yeah. yeah it, and it's a great one. Um, I just want to make sure we don't get sued. So it's everyone. <laughs> in our opinion. <laughs> in our opinion. Let's get a clean one. In our opinion. <laughs> quite frankly, I will say that the idea that entertainment is putting forward people who are not qualified to be instructing because they're popular and because because I think in parts like Caesar I think has a new show coming out on Netflix and you know Netflix did it because he was going to be a mm-hmm. big draw and that was going to draw controversy from people in more educated circles which is going to bring more attention mm-hmm. to their show mm-hmm. so it's all like it's all Hollywood and it's it's not based in science or real information. It makes flashy TV. And the truth of the matter is good dog training is boring. Good dog training <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is so boring because you're trying not to set the dog off. You're trying to figure out where the level is that the dog can learn and teach the dog below a level of stress. The problem that I really, really, truly have with Caesar is that he's still feeding Caesar and people like him. is still feeding this notion of dominance training. Like you have to be dominant over your dog and your dog has to be submissive to you. And that was based on science or observations of captive wolves, not from the same family in a zoo. And they fought and they fought a lot because they didn't have a place to go. Wolves cover hundreds of miles and their territories are Mm -hmm. vast and huge and when you take multiple families of wolves and you put them in a zoo there's gonna be some problems well right (laughs) it's the same way that you put dogs in a in a shelter environment their behavior is going to be very different than it would be in a home environment because it's it's stressful it's yeah. It has sounds that they wouldn't necessarily, you know, There, there's a population density that is not comfortable. And and then you leave right. them there long enough and then you can get long-term behavior changes, which is why it's so important to try to keep, not have dogs be in shelters for very long so that they can, you know, develop some normal, healthy patterns. It's it's bad when they, when they do go what we would call kennel crazy. But this notion of dominance as a theory, as a viable theory that you have to be dominant over your dog has been debunked so many times by actual scientists Mm. and researchers and people Mm -hmm. who know wolves that 
it, it's almost laughable that it still exists, but it got in the zeitgeist oh, again. It started totally. going the way of the dodo, as far as I understand, before Caesar came on the scene. And then when he did, everybody heard you have to be mm-hmm. dominant over your dog. And so then the cycle kind of perpetuated itself again. Submission and dominance are real things in animal behavior. I'm not going to say that it's not. Um, You will have maybe a dominant wolf, the alpha wolf, who's in charge of a family, but he's not going to just go around attacking people and and attacking dogs. He's their leader. He's the one who's like, okay, we're going to go hunt today. Or, hey, kid, knock it off. You're, you know, stop picking on your brother, whatever the case might be. They're not like this militant mm-hmm. villain from mm-hmm. Marvel where Just they're pin- pinning <laughs> like all the, the other dogs all day long. Right. True submission is earned and it's never taken. So when you see somebody at a dog park flick it, flipping their dog mm-hmm. on their back and just holding it there, they're looking for that dog to show what television would call is mm-hmm. submission. And that's A, not how it happens mm-hmm. with wolves. B, they think they're looking for submission, but what they're really doing is they're shutting their dog down. And they're making it give up. Mm-hmm. The fight is gone. Like, so they just quit. And it's, I don't want people to think that they, if they've done this, that they've been abusing their dog. Because a lot of people just mm-hmm. don't know. But it, it is harmful to the dog to do that in the same way that if I held my daughter down every time she <laughs> screwed up. God, um, right. Right? At some point, somebody would say something. And it's so true that that became just, as you say, part of the zeitgeist of training, that you got a puppy and you started out by rolling it and pinning it, you know, just even yeah. like as a part of quote unquote play, but like a controlling yeah. play, uh, I'm going to stare you down. I'm going to look you in the eye and, mm-hmm. and look threatening. And that was just part of, of puppy training for like decades. Yeah. And I remember I, I used to do this in my classes. I, I would usually do it with my assistant because I, I never wanted my my students to yeah, feel yeah. uncomfortable. But sometimes I didn't have an assistant. So I would just find the student that I had the best rapport of and I would give them a warning. I would I would never put them in a position that they were uncomfortable with. I would take a student or my assistant into the middle of the room and just say, OK, like if you're staring at your dog, just don't be creepy about it. Because if I'm on a subway and you kept looking up from your your newspaper or your phone and you kept seeing this. That was Melissa staring right into the um, Zoom laptop camera. Staring. (laughs) And if you find yourself just staring at your dog like, the fuck you do? Like, (laughs) you bark one more time. Like, that look for a dog is hard. Because, like, eye-to-eye contact, Mm -hmm. unless there's an existing Mm -hmm. relationship means fight and your dog doesn't want to fight you so when you're staring that intensely at your dog in order to make them look Mm -hmm. away Mm -hmm. first like you're you're the big Mm -hmm. boss all you're doing is making your dog really uncomfortable and unsure as to what to do next you're not showing them what you want them to do you're just making them feel bad right by the same reasoning this is why you and i you and training and I in say the exam room or when when I'm seeing a pet if I'm working with a a dog and the dog is either aggressive or fearful just doesn't show all that body Mm -hmm. language of being at ease and comfortable and hanging out and you know wanting to approach me that I don't make eye contact and if it's a fearful animal I'm going to sit on the floor 
uh, I think you talked about this in one of your recent Bewildered Beasts, your your kids podcast. It was the the cat. Like, if you want a cat to come over to you, just pretend you're oh, allergic yeah. and you don't want to say but, hi. But the, you know, it, this is the, hey, I've got this dog who's clearly uncomfortable, and I've had patients like this over the years, where if I can just be non-threatening, let them approach me, not make eye contact, and then have repeated visits where they start to associate the time with me as different than the people who try to, like, oh, let me pet your dog. And the owner's like, no, 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 but it's okay. I'm yeah. a dog person. No, no, no. You know, <laughs> that, that I can start to build a rapport with a dog who, you know, may have had a an unhappy background, but maybe is just wired such that everything is overstimulating and yeah. I just need to bring it all down. And this is, I know, what you do all the time, too, with, with dogs like that. Yeah, like you have to take the pressure off. You have to earn their trust. And some dogs, like Captain, they just run up to you right. trusting you. Like I'm convinced Do-de-do-de-do. that, <laughs> right? I have seen him try to jump into strangers' cars that are parked on the sidewalk. And if the door is open, he'll just like try to jump in. Like I live with you now. I'm like, dude, I'm still physically attached to you. I'm right here. You're still like, on the leash. You're going to be dragging me down the street. <laughs> As the car pulls away. What a, what a world this would be if the dogs just made all the decisions. Oh, my God. There would be so much humping. <laughs> just in the street. Humping and food. So much humping. I don't, I don't see where you can go wrong there. I mean, honestly, neither do I. <laughs> it's a plan. Frida, you're in charge now. She says it's nap time. <laughs> it's Ah, oh, I didn't know about humping, the Humping, food, nap, repeat. I said I was about ready to go out on the street and start humping things. You'll be my wonderful yeah. call, right? <laughs> Fantastic. But yeah, so if you are going to watch, I guess I just want to like finish up by saying like if you are going to watch these shows, please, I know most of them have a disclaimer. This is for entertainment purposes only. But as a dog trainer, I see people coming into my classes and and are not taking it as entertainment only, that they are taking this as gospel. So of all of these shows, I would say if you're going to watch one to get ideas and maybe understand your animal a little bit better, I would look at this one, Dogs and Cats and where's at that? War. Where, what, where's I think it's on the BBC. They're, they're really great. I was able to see a few um, short episodes. I had to kind of VPN it. They're really good. Chirag is awesome. But I can highly recommend it because I... I know he's right. qualified. He's not just up there spitting yeah. bullshit. He he's done the work, whereas other entertainers might not have. But yeah, so that like if if you're worried about like where to get more reputable information, if you're watching these shows and you're like, yes, I actually do have a problem, and it does look like some people can help me solve it, then do some more digging. Um, but don't try to solve your behavior problems with a television show because it's there for sensationalism. It's there for entertainment. It's a reality show. And even the most qualified people like Chirag would say, please don't use this in place of actual help in the same way that I wouldn't watch like a vet show and say, oh, I can do, my dog has bone cancer. I can just chop off his leg and be fine. (laughs) Right? I should, like... Just because it's on TV does not mean that you should be doing this at home without guidance. (laughs) So to summarize, your recommendation is sit, 
stay, surf the web for the host's qualifications. Yeah. Well, that was a lot shorter. Had you just said that at the beginning, we could have cut 20 minutes out of this thing. <laughs> Melissa. Yes, Sip. Sit back and let me tell you a story about giant, magical raccoon dog testicles. Here for it. (laughs) (laughs) I am here to tell you today about this incredible magical creature. But first, I'm going to tell you about the real life version of the raccoon dog, which is known in Japanese culture as the tanuki. (gasps) Oh, my God. This is in Mario. That's a real thing. (gasps) Like you get yes! you get a little Mario suit and you <laughs> it's my favorite video game. I'm so excited. So So the Japanese raccoon dog is not a raccoon at all, but you could excuse people for thinking that it looks very raccoon like in the face. They have that mask look and the kind of pointy sides of the face, but not a raccoon at all. They are canids, they are a type of dog, wild dog. Uh and They are related to the Asian raccoon dog. There's discussion about whether they should be their own um, species, actually. And there are discussions about the Japanese raccoon dog and subspeciation and whether that should be changed. But the gist is this animal is more similar to a fox, but not not a fox. They've been uh, called badgers, but they are not badgers. They are a type of canid. They're kind of type of wild dog. So this is not a pet. You would not. This is not a pet. Not a pet. (laughs) Got it. This is a wild animal. And they are omnivores. They hunt all sorts of things. Um, They even catch fish. And they can climb trees, which is more similar apparently to like the gray fox, but not actually that closely related to the gray fox. And really interesting, if you look at them, almost look like a mishmash of, of animals based on our Western experience. But really cool looking, and uh, you can find pictures and videos, of course, on the web. But the Japanese raccoon dog has had a long history in Japanese lore. They first seem to pop up in imagery and stories around the 13th century, a little bit. But in the 16th century is when they really start to get a foothold as this character, this creature who is into trickery and mischief and likes to play pranks. Oh, very much like a fox. Very much like a fox. Huh. In fact, they think a lot of this lore came from much earlier Asian lore of the naughty, evil fox. Okay, oh, So the okay. fox tended to be really like evil, pure mean. This guy can be mean. He can be evil. He can also be just kind of a trickster and a little naughty. It's kind of a mishmash depending on the stories. He's into stealing, tricks, murder. Uh, <laughs> a little casual murder. A little casual murder. He likes to impersonate monks and politicians just to be a little extra naughty. He'll transform objects, turn them, you know, he can turn himself into objects, actually. Uh-oh. So he could take something and turn it into something else. He can take himself and turn himself into a teapot, whatever. 
And he loves to throw travelers off their course, confuse mm. them so that they go the wrong way. So basically, he's up to a lot of mischief and sometimes worse. So, you know, that's kind of his his bag. He's also known for liking to drum on his belly as part of the sort of throwing off the travelers thing, maybe oh. sounding like thunder or just confusing them. So um, there are depictions of him with this belly that he's like pounding on. But... He's also known for being able to transform his testicles or just have enormous testicles, huge testicles. Church bells of testicles. Compared (laughs) to many tatami mats of testicles. Um, (laughs) And he will turn these into things that will let him fly or attack people (gasps) with it or... Handy as a fishing net. Um, he'll oh. even drum on those if he doesn't feel like drumming on his belly. <laughs> he can make scary faces with it. I'm sorry. Like, you know, he's got his bass drum and his hi-hat. <laughs> just, just... And uh, finally, I did come across a reference to um, even using it as a children's swing. That is not for children. <laughs> The interesting thing is that he does come up in children's stories and uh, and in modern day, like, children's cartoons. He, yes, shows up in Super Mario Brothers, Animal Crossing, lots of places in anime. There's even a Hello Kitty <gasps> Tanuki. No! <laughs> yes. So, my... Cell phone ring is the Mario theme song, and my alert is like the coin sounds from like from Mario. So like when I get a text from you, say it like it goes like the little Mario <laughs> coin because I love this video game so much. Like I have a pair of Mario <laughs> leggings, like, and now all I'm going to think of is the next time that I'm flying with his tail. That really the motor of that moving tail is going to be those giant church bell testicles. It's <laughs> what's giving him his oomph. <laughs> well, we're going to have to get you some tanuki leggings. I just to, you know. I don't know if I'm okay with this. <laughs> so, so a few more little things about him. He, you know, I mentioned that he can transform things. And one of his really common tricks, apparently, is to transform, like, he'd pay you in what looks like money, but then he leaves and it just turns into leaves. Oh. Yeah, so you're left there not paid. And another one is offering you a delicious meal, which you begin to eat, but in your mouth just turns into horse poopy. Oh. Yeah, that's that's how he rolls. That's a bummer. I would be so uh, <laughs> sad if I was trying a maki roll and it yeah. turned into, uh, I don't like it. A horse nugget. Yeah. A nugget. So. Hmm. But these days, you know, we mentioned these sort of, you know, cartoony anime kids things, but he has a presence just in the, like the general culture and you'll find these statues of him depicted as this in the modern form, the sort of round-faced, round-bellied, 
jovial, smiling dude with a straw hat and a promissory note in one hand and like a sake bottle in the other, meaning he doesn't feel like paying his bills and he just wants to get drunk outside of shops and restaurants around Japan. He's just like this figure that you'll find all over the place. And he's even kind of developed this like a Japanese version of our lawn gnome where he comes really? in all sorts of styles. So he might be dressed for work or holding a chainsaw or dressed in a baseball uniform or whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> he's into everything. Probably because of all that sake, he thinks that he can do everything. He's like, I'll wear this today. Yeah, I can sing this song. I'm fine. I'm <laughs> fine. I can I'm, fly. I'm, I'm next for karaoke. Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I can fly. <laughs> oh, so, you know, he's just this funny creature that it started like showing up around the 13th century here and there. And it's now just like all over the culture in poems, in books, these figurine, these huge figurines outside of the shops. And they will depict him everything from just this jovial guy with the hat and the note and the sake bottle to actually having these giant testicles. And there's nothing sort of taboo about it. Like, huh. as I say, it's in the children's stories. He can just have his giant testicles and, well, I guess I shouldn't say eat him too. <laughs> And, and just be totally accepted for all of his silly trickery ways. So, like, I'm picturing them, like, two extra feet. Like, he's sitting with his tail. And, like, you see his, like, little feet. And then just, like, two giant. They just take up his whole lap. They are oh, just. Oh, no. Sitting in front of him. And then in the, like, the wood, the old wood block cuts. They are like jutting up into the sky, like like a like if you think of that old Japanese print of the the giant wave. Oh yeah, like, I have that on my ankles. Yeah, that's right, what my tattoo. Right, almost like that. They're like they can be doing anything. They can be, but those statues, they'll just be like these huge, this huge scrotum just sitting in his lap. And, and actually, there was, I did see a reference to where that idea of the testicle just becoming almost... Oh, my God. Um, I'm sorry. I just Googled it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, well. Wow. Well, Hello, Alice Obscura. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my. It's like the whole size. It's like... Okay, so what I... And they are hairy. It, ugh. Not everything gets cuter the bigger it gets. He, Round or flat or. Oh, no. Like one guy. is OK, there's <laughs> I don't even know where to start. It's like a fox. Like it's it's like fox weight slender, but kind of looks like a raccoon. Um, right. There's and, that version where they're more slim. Those are more the early versions or where they're kind of slim and more fox like looking. And his and his balls like they're not they are the whole size of him and like okay I have had a child I have had an actual human shoot out of my body and she's going into fourth grade <laughs> next year they get bigger <laughs> like there's a point where like I could not pick her up anymore um 
these testicles have gone past that. They are up to his shoulder and he's holding yeah. them in front of him as like yeah. the these I'm guessing businessmen are kicking him in it almost like um like an MMA fighter would hold up a punching bag in front like the coach would right. hold up a punching bag in front and the right. fighter would kick <laughs> that is what this tanuki is doing and like it, it and he seems cool with it like he's not like ah I'm in pain he's like yeah you got more <laughs> like bring it yeah like I I was picturing like maybe a baby bjorn appropriate size appropriate's not the right word <laughs> but like uh, like you could like carry it like a baby N- no 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 these these, these, these are, are like multiple times his size flying in the air he can use them to fly he can like they're huge they're... oh if he I... wants them to be I all depends on what he wants to do. I kind of wish I didn't look that up. <laughs> <laughs> this is wow, that's fascinating. They think that some of the origin of this idea of his testicles being able to just get larger and larger might have come from um, gold workers who would need to pound out the gold really thin to do sort of like a gold leaf, and that they would use the tanuki the um, japanese uh raccoon dog testicle skin to pound it on and 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 they need something that would stretch and apparently it can once it's off the animal and (laughs) dead can be stretched out and then used for pounding the gold so (gasps) this idea of it being able to just get bigger and bigger went from that practical use to the lore oh that's cool I mean, yeah. not for the dead tanuki, and no, like I I know it's not good podcasting just to have forty minutes of my jaw on the ground and me just going <laughs> like gasping, but that's pretty much what this otherwise would have been. <laughs> <laughs> you need to look up pictures of the tanuki. We will have links in the show notes. I'll put it up on social too. You haven't lived until you've really taken. You have. You really have Tanuki testicles into your heart. (laughs) (laughs) And unfortunately, the only way for them to get there is via your eyeballs. (laughs) (laughs) So, we are at the end of the podcast. Holy shamoly, where does the time go? But we'll be back. I'll try to be patient. Our music is by Jason Shop with additional music by Ableton Live. This week, our thanks go out to Sharad Patel for being an amazing, qualified, and inspiring drug trainer for people like Melissa to follow. And to Melissa's friends at Barks from the Bookshelf, another awesome podcast that interviewed Sharad a few weeks ago. They've also interviewed Melissa. Thanks, Stephen Nat, and thanks to the amazing British TV quiz show QI for turning me on to all things Tanuki. You can find more on our show notes or visit our website, totallypossumpod.com. And we have a social. We have Twitter. We are at PossumPod. And now all that's left is shameless self-promotion. Melissa, bring us all of that. You bling. I am a certified professional dog trainer outside of Boston, Massachusetts, the author of Considerations for the City Dog, host of Bewilderbeats, another podcast for curious folks. But unlike this, it is totally safe for work and all ages. 
You can find more about me and my projects, speaking engagements, classes, presentations, and more at melissamcumcgrath.com. Now take it away, Sip. I'm a veterinarian who loves to work with exotic animals in and around Oakland, California, the operator of Zuzu's Puddles Productions. And when I'm not treating hedgehogs, box turtles, and parakeets, you can find me painting my toenails purple. And you can find more about me and about exotic pet care at drsipvet.com. That's D-R-S-I-P-V-E-T.com. You can reach us both at totallypossumpod at gmail.com. Send us your topic ideas or questions or send us bizarre and silly animal stories, including those not ready for Little Billy's Grade School Science Lab. Think more along the lines of sexually transmitted diseases of koalas or opossum private parts. It doesn't have to be R-rated, but it helps. So that's it. That's the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Hug your pets if you've got them. Unless you have a pet cane toad, in which case I professionally advise against it. It's a toxin thing. And respect those opossums. Or as we say, stay possum. Stay possum. Sip, we're at the end of the... (laughs) Chicken fucker. (laughs) Oh, God, is that going at the end? That's... God damn it.